I'm always amazed at the diversity of our community, aren't you? I'm always amazed when people get up and they share their common stories. When they share the things that have shaped them and formed them and made them who they are. And so, Ray, to you this morning, we say thank you. Thank you for sharing those stories that help us understand more fully who we are, who you are, and who God calls us to be. Amen? Aren't we grateful that we're not the same? That there is tremendous diversity in this body of believers. So welcome to Skillman this morning. We are thankful that you are here. Bless your heart. You've got to listen to a croaking preacher this morning. Just the best I can do. After a, a day of speaking all day yesterday, this is as much as I got left. So we're just going to kind of do the best we can and, and sort of work our way through it. We are looking at this, um, this series we are calling Reinvent. And we're looking at who God is calling us to be in this community. And so I want to go back to our signboard because I think it's important for us to remember the values that we say are congregationally important to us. That you can come as you are. That that's not just a matter of dress, but that's a matter of heart and life. Wherever you find yourself in this world, whatever circumstance and situation that you find yourself in, you can come as you are. And because you are able to do that, it's a testimony to the fact that you matter to God. That God is not only involved, but God is tied directly into everything that you are, into everything that he calls you to be. We have said on multiple occasions that slow children, it plays a double meaning sign that children are important to us. We will always care about them. We will always do the best for them. But it also talks about our heart and that we are to come before God as little children. And then that last sign, that idea of grace happens here. It undergirds the rest of them. That we have been extended grace. That we have been touched by grace. That we have been moved by grace. And because of that, we are gracious to others. Which leads to the mission of calling all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. And so what does it look like to call people into that kind of community? A community that loves God loves each other, and loves the world. So, this morning, what I kind of want to do is remind us of a little bit of where we've been, but kind of help us see what we are doing, not only in this room this morning, but as we live life together, or as some people say, as we do life together. We are called to be witnesses but what are we witnessing? Are we witnessing these values that we claim to be true? If our one job is to be a witness of what God has done and to call other people to join us in that journey, are we fulfilling that one job? Now, last week I had some, um, 
I had some pictures of people who failed in their one jobs. And evidently that resonated with some of you because you sent me some other pictures of others that failed in their one jobs. I have a few of those that I'd like to share with you. Your one job, put the handle on the mug on the outside. What are you thinking about, right? Or, or, or how, about, how about this one? You only had one job. I know that's probably a political statement for some, but honestly, really? Or, or, or how about this one? I, this is my favorite. Here's midfield. Here's the midfield logo. The groundskeeper obviously needs to come to Regen on Wednesday night. It's all I can say. We got some issues that are going on in that. And so as we look at those things, we have one job. And our job is to be witnesses of what God is doing in a community. And so if we're going to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ, what are we calling them to? What does it mean for us to live in community? Now, another word for community is the word fellowship. Now, fellowship is a good biblical word, but I think it's a word that's been watered down over time, don't you? At least in my growing up days, and, and, and I will even take my young adult days. Before we built the Family Life Center across the street, we had all of our fellowship meals right behind us in the East Wing. We had possibly the ugliest carpet I've ever seen in any building in that room. It, it was atrocious. It was great, though. You could spill a plate of spaghetti and nobody would know. Awful all the way through. But it reminded me of my childhood and the fellowship meals that we used to have. I've got some examples of kind of what that looked like. Here's the first one. We had these eight-foot tables that are stacked end to end. Does that resonate with anybody else? And everybody would come in and you'd sit down. And we had, at least in the South, we called them potlucks, right? You'd come, everybody would bring something, you'd have plenty of food. Now, there are some things that we had on that fellowship table, like meatloaf. That was kind of an important thing. Then we would have the crock pot with the spoon in it with chili. And we didn't really care very much of whether or not we were within code. We always had an extension cord running from the crock pot, stretching across the floor all the way to the back wall. Today, we wouldn't do any of that, right? Because we're much more concerned about safety. Now, this was the part of a fellowship meal I didn't understand. Look at this next one. Three bean salad. Why? What's the purpose of that? And for those of you who must love three bean salad, okay, we'll kind of go, we'll kind of go from there. But the worst part of fellowship meals? Jello. Oh. I'm sorry, it's a texture thing with me, probably. Maybe that's the problem with all of it. I don't know. But we would save the day. For those of us that couldn't cook or for those of us that were running late, this is kind of how we handled the fellowship meal. Ah, yes. 
You go by, you get your bucket of chicken, and as a high school boy, that was the place we would spend our time. Now, the adults would stand in my growing up church. The worship center was on the second floor, and the the fellowship center was on the bottom floor. And we would come, and the adults would stand there, and they would drink coffee, and they would have inane conversations about lots of stuff. And the kids would go to the youth center and they'd play ping pong or they'd go down to our gym and they'd play basketball. Or if it's summertime, they were out on the lawn, they were doing their deal. And we called that fellowship. And it was. It mattered. It was a community building event that encouraged people to be together. Now, I will tell you, I had one of those circumstances that sort of shaped me badly. We had a lady that was a member of our church, and I'm trying to think how to politely say this. Um, she was a taco short of a combination plate. <laughs> you you, you kind of get my drift on what's going on with this deal. And I don't think she ate prior to any fellowship meal. Because she would come in and she would stack that plate with enough food that an NFL linebacker, there's not a way in the world he's going to finish that deal. And not only would she do that, she had bags. She'd take those bags and she's stuffing food in those bags. Now, Jill Lydic's one of the sweetest people I know. And she's not going to be like my two little friends were at the Volte Church of Christ. They took exception to that. These two little ladies that ran the fellowship meal at the Voltee Church of Christ, oh my word, blue-haired and dominant. (laughs) You understand? And they decided that they were going to confront (laughs) klepto-Christian. And so she's sitting there loading her plate up and she's kind of getting all the stuff in the bag. And one of those little ladies walked up to her and said, "Uh, that's not allowed. There are no doggy bags in this restaurant. You're done. This lady took exception to that. Now, look, I don't know if there's a video room in heaven. But if there is, Jesus and I are going to sit down in one of those big chairs And I want to see the replay of that moment as Sarah Lee cake and Oreos went everywhere as the little blue-haired lady and the little klepto-Christian got engaged in a wrestling match that the WWE would promote for weeks. (laughs) Never in my life had I ever seen anything that was like that. But see, I want to say to us, there's a lot more to community. And there's a lot more to fellowship than meatloaf. And the Greek word is koinonia. And it's, it's more than cups of coffee in NFL discussion. It means that Jesus is in our midst. And when we are in true fellowship, true community with one another, those are moments that form us. They shape us. They move us. How, how do you take... Values like these and inculcate them into individuals. The way that it happens is through Christian community. As deep speaks to deep. 
as men and women speak into our lives in tangible and real ways. As we are moved and we are challenged and we are blessed in those kind of ways. Gilbert Bezikian was a professor at the Wheaton Bible College in suburban Chicago. He wrote a paper first and it ended up being a book. But he called it the dream of the church. As a community that has been very concerned about restoring New Testament Christianity... It is interesting to me that we have been much more concerned with form than we have with heart. And if you want to see what the dream of the church actually looks like, you need to turn to Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, you find words that challenge you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Just let yourself stop there. All of them were together. All of them sharing everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I just want you to stop and I want to ask this question. Does that community look like this community? Because that's the dream of the church. That they were together every day in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. That is New Testament Christianity. That's what it looks like. I I find it so interesting that people are much more willing to argue with me over the forms of worship than they are the heart of Acts chapter 2. Because the heart of Acts chapter 2 talks about what it means to engage completely, totally, and absolutely in biblical community. A community that forms you, shapes you, moves you, encourages you, challenges you to do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. See, the primary reason to meet with other Christians is not to learn more biblical information. It's not to develop great friends. It's not even accountability. It's it's connectedness. Because into every life there is going to be a need to grow or a need to know crisis that's going to show up. And a community of faith is the only way that we can sustain ourselves in those moments. That's why God has called us to live in community with one another. And I just want to say this and and just kind of put it out there. So often we think that it's just okay to show up on Sunday morning. 
and that's good. Sermons are a catalyst. Bible classes are a catalyst. They can help promote spiritual thought and spiritual growth. But how in the world are we going to be formed by an hour a week in this setting and we say we're good to go live life? And when I compare that thought to Acts chapter 2, it doesn't add up for me. It doesn't even look the same way. So I want to talk about some aspects of biblical community. Because in biblical community, what ends up happening is I get to be known, fully known. Weaknesses, strengths, every bit of it. The good parts of me, the hard parts of me, the parts that you will easily love, the parts of me that you will struggle with, that's what happens when community starts to happen. So here's at least one thing I think you need to do. As we start looking at biblical community, identify your areas of weaknesses, and your community helps you do that. If you're a recovering alcoholic, don't do your outreach in a bar. If your marriage is on the rocks... Don't seek out people of the opposite sex to go and mentor. And if you think that's a good idea, go and get counseling now. Do not pass go. Do not collect the money. It's a terrible thought. If you struggle with materialism or finances, don't have your coffee date at the mall. Help help yourself and let your community help you. How open are you and I with people we go to church with about what's really going on in our life? Past letting them know we're sick and we need prayers for it. How open are we about our life struggles and about what's good and about what's not good and about where it's working and about where it's not working? How willing are we to be a people that will engage with each other in those deep, profound ways where I know you and you know me. Strengths, weaknesses, and all. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew ten sixteen: I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. And as innocent as doves. Here's the second thing I want you to know about biblical community. Don't abandon your friends who are mature believers. You need them. I want you to think about what that looks like. Jesus had 12 men that really went down to three. James, John, and Peter. When it came to his close and intimate companions, right? Folks, he actually shared life with. And yet at the same time, he's eating with sinners, tax collectors, and publicans and driving the religious establishment crazy because they weren't the right kind of folks. And the reason he was able to have that kind of balance is he was in balance. We are called to be witnesses and to go into the world at the same time. We have to be formed and we have to be built and that happens in community. I, some of you will remember this name. Some of you won't. Larry Sullivan was the associate minister here when I got here in 1984. He was a red-headed, joyous, just fun guy to be around. 
Larry loved the Lord. And it was kind of interesting. I was a youth minister, 24 years old. I didn't know come up from Sikkim. It's just the way it was. And Larry kind of took me under his wing a little bit. And we spent some time together. Larry was involved in a Bible study with Glenn Davis, who was an elder in a Christian church in Richardson. And with our John Bell, who at that time was still a practicing dentist over in Casa Linda. And Larry had been involved in that study, at least that's what I thought it was, for a long, long time. And he asked me one Wednesday, he said, hey, would you like to be a part of this? And I thought about it. I went, a Bible study? Sure, I'll go do that. I had no idea what I was getting into. Glenn Davis was probably in his early 60s. John at that time was in his late 50s. Larry was in his early 40s. And here I was, 24. And I was unprepared to hear men challenge each other in Scripture. I was unprepared to hear them talk about what was going on with their families, what was happening in their lives, what needed to be prayed for, and they would take the time on those moments and spend it in prayer. I had never experienced anything like it. And for those two years that I was involved with that group of guys, it it was just, I couldn't wait for Wednesday. I, I couldn't wait for those moments. And we would finish our time together and we would go over to the El Phoenix, which is still in Casa Linda. And Larry would order enchiladas with extra gravy. It was chili con carne, but he never knew the difference, right? And we would sit there and we would eat together and we would share together and life was good because we had shared those moments. I crave that to the point that I've done something about it. So at the end of last year, I found myself not really having that kind of community. At least the community where I'm just sitting there laying it out and having some people challenge me and going through some things with me. So I asked my friend Mike Young if he'd spend some time with me every week, and he agreed to do so. And every Thursday morning, we sit and we study and we spend some time asking ourselves some hard questions occasionally. It's not easy sometimes. And yet Mike is this gracious, kind, and good man. And he's been good for me. He's helped me kind of walk through some things that haven't been so easy for me to deal with. And just given me a perspective based on Scripture. That happens early on Thursday. At 4 o'clock every Thursday, I do something different. George Dishman has been an elder in this church and a friend of mine a long time. And when I was going through Regen last year and I was finishing it up, I got to my fourth and my fifth step and it was time for me to get a mentor. And I asked George to do that for me. And I started going through those things in my life from resentments to fears to harms done to me to harms done to others to a sexual inventory to the things that I had done that brought me to recovery And I started sharing those things with him. James 5.13. 
confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. How willing are we to do that? To talk through those things in our life that are not easy, that have been difficult, that are not easy for us to deal with. See, having mature men in my life speaking into my life, who is speaking into your life? Who are you giving that kind of place and that kind of presence to that's actually involved in speaking into your life. The third thing a biblical community to be, should be is a diverse experience. Because as Matt Chandler said when he described the first converts in the church of Philippi, he said it, it consisted of a wealthy fashionista entrepreneur, a hyper-emotional demon-possessed slave girl, and a blue-collar jailer with an identity completely defined by his job. And you look at the diversity of that community and you understand why it had some strength. Look around the room. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't look like me. Oh, say that like you mean it. Actually say it like you mean it. And aren't you glad? And if I told you this... You'd probably, if I asked you to say this, you'd say it as well. And you don't act like me. And you don't think like me. Here's what I have found out the hard way. What happens when people who are all the same get together and start talking? Let me give you the answer. Nothing. Nothing happens. Nothing's good about that moment. Everybody just affirms everybody's already formed opinion. No one is challenged. No one grows. No one does what they need to do. So embrace this melting pot that you've been given. If you look around this room, it's different. It's supposed to be different. That's what the church is. That's how the church looks. Listen, a doctor needs to sit next to an ex-convict and be able to have koinonia with one another. If you didn't think it happened in the New Testament church, read the New Testament. Because that's all Paul talked about. Look, there are differences between Hellenistic Greeks and Jews. You've got all this diversity that's here. And it creates some problems. But it also encourages and builds strength. We're a diverse community. And it's a good thing that we are. And here's my last one. There is a difference in going to church and belonging to church. Hey, listen, I go to the garage every day. It doesn't make me a car. You can walk in this place every Sunday and it doesn't do anything to form you. You have to be willing to embrace what community is able to do for you. So I want you to see what that looks like. 
Remember last week I asked you in a hundred words or less to write a gospel story. And to see what that gospel story really would look like if you could do that. We're going to video some of those. You remember that that I did? I've gotten several of them this week. It's been interesting to, to read some of those things. But I got one on Monday that just sort of surprised me. In fact, Jake and Rebecca were in the conference room with me when I opened my phone up. And there it was. It's from one of our newest, going to be one of our newest members, CJ. He was baptized here about two months ago. I was blown away. I changed the whole way I was going to do this sermon because it was so impactful to me. What happens when a community impacts a believer? How does life change? Take a look at CJ's story in poem. this poem. Uh, It's a life story called Brokenness, and here it goes. Like pottery shattered to pieces, I was lost amongst the streets filled with fragments of glass. My heart was mangled and my soul was leaking. Help me, because I'm fading fast. My arms are tattooed with ink and punctures just to remind me of my past. And no one wants me because of this emptiness. So why should I even ask? To put me back together, a horrendous task. Your, to- your time, Lord, I'm not even worth. Then he replied, son, I love you regardless. And quite frankly, I've seen worse. Picking up my puzzle as he began reconstruction, concealing my resentments and regret. Daily he molds me directing my footsteps, a masterpiece that is appreciated. All of my life, I've searched for significance, belonging. Now I understand what I've been through. Brokenness gave me a life of salvation, a new creation in you. All my life, I searched for significance, belonging. That statement's been said by every one of us because it's something that we look for. And when you find a community of faith where you can be transparent and authentic, And authenticity only happens when you're willing to be vulnerable. Authenticity only happens when you're willing to not be strong, but to allow yourself to be weak. When you find a community that allows that to happen, and that community takes you where you are, it is these signs that you can come that way. And you're going to stay that way a lot. And that's good. That you really do matter to God. That grace really does happen here. And that God can't love you any more than he does right now. Because it's never based on your performance. 
but on what he has done in Christ. Are you willing to look at church differently? Are you willing to move past the coming to church and allowing yourself to be the church? See, here's what I believe. I think Acts chapter 2 can happen again. But it will never happen because we get the form right. It will only happen because we got the heart right. And it's a heart that let us pursue the heart of God. As we love God, love others, and love the world. So this morning, if you've not made that step of faith, we encourage you to do this as elder couples gather around the room, as Jake and I will be down front. Whatever the need that you have, we invite you to come and share that. But here's what I would say to us as this community of faith that finds themselves in this room this morning. Craig and I were having a quick conversation. It's not come to church. It's we are church. We are church. And if we really are church, then we become a place that will become incredibly dynamic. Let's stand and sing.